Welcome to the Highland Southern Baptist Podcast. Each week, Keith Perrin will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message. If you have a Bible, you can read along with us. Our mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ from Hillsboro, Missouri to the rest of the world. Now, here's Pastor Keith. If you would get your Bibles, open them up to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. Spend a little bit of time in Ephesians chapter four. We're gonna we're gonna get a little bit further along and spend a little, slow down. Spend a little bit uh, more time in one particular section. Um, one thing that's become very obvious to me, more obvious recently than before, is the danger that the church is always in. Um, always been alert and aware and looking for um, for danger. The days are only going to get worse. Um, there's going to come a time. I can't say whether this is going to be in our lifetime or not. I think to some extent this is already true. There's going to come a time where the only people that you can really trust are the people who are genuinely of the church. Now, the reason that the Bible places so much emphasis on unity is because it is it encourages us to spend the time and attention necessary to build relationships with one another and learn how to maintain those relationships. Because there is a time that's coming. Again, I can't say whether it'll happen in my lifetime or not, but I can say there is a time that is coming that there will be very clear lines drawn between the individuals who trust in Christ and the individuals who do not. Now, between those two lines... There's a blurry section where there are individuals who believe that what it is that they're doing, they're doing for God. The Bible also teaches that very clearly. Um, But they do not do what they do for God. False prophets in the scriptures very rarely know that they're false prophets. They genuinely do what they do, believing that what it is that they're doing is right. The church in the United States has become so much about nothing that I believe in many cases the church just isn't ready for this. And I'm talking about the big C church, the church in the country. As we look back and as we step back and take a look at the church in the world, can you say that the whole church in the world is doing what it is that God's asked it to do? I mean, we can all say with absolute agreement that there is an awful lot of confusion when it comes to uh, the churches and what the churches think are right. Churches still carry the name of churches. They're after the almighty dollar. Heard me say, the fact is, it takes money to keep the lights on. It takes money to, to pay a pastor. It takes money to fund the ministries. Those are realities. But people seem to be chasing more than that these days. Christianity has become about emotionalism. It's become about being entertained. I visited a pastor um, at a church a few weeks ago. The stage had laser lights. Laser lights. Something you would typically see if you go pay a hundred bucks for tickets at a concert. I want to be clear, 
there's nothing wrong with being emotional at all. As long as the emotion is provoked by the spirit. But we don't create worship atmospheres by putting emotions on the table first. And the fact is, the entertainment industry inside the church has become so big and popular that that's most of what churches are about. Being entertained. There are many people who won't even go to church if they're not entertained. That's one of the criteria by which they find a church. Is, is it entertaining? It's easy for us living in this fallen world to realize or to not realize exactly what Jesus Christ called the church to be. And if I was to ask you very seriously, do you think to Jesus it's about entertainment? Is it about play? Is it a game? Is the responsibility that he put out in front of us supposed to be fun? Is that doctrinal? Because my Bible says when I wake up in the morning, I'm supposed to set myself to suffer. Right? What happens to those who desire to live ungodly? Or to live godly in Christ Jesus? You will be persecuted. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you were persecuted? When's the last time somebody called you a holy roller, a Bible thumper, a Jesus freak? When's the last time that somebody got rude to you because you was doing nothing more than sharing the love of Christ with them? If we're living life as the church and the world is not persecuting us, we're not doing something right. And if we were individuals who faced a world every day that persecuted us for sharing the love of Christ with them, then I'll tell you what one effect to that would be. We would be way more alert. We would see the deceiver coming. I've heard many individuals over the last two weeks in conversations that I've had with people saying, well, I don't believe that. You're entitled to an opinion where the Bible doesn't address the topic. But where the Bible addresses the topic, you are not entitled to an opinion. And what it all really boils down to is, do our opinions really matter? And should they? There is one thing, one thing that has the power to unify individuals who have different minds. And it's God. You say, well, God's a different person to all kinds of people. Yes, he is. But is he a different person than the one in this word? Our faith is not based on emotion. Our faith is not based on entertainment. God didn't call us to be a part of something 
where we weren't being called out. But I get it. I've lived those experiences in my life where complacency sets in. I had lunch with a pastor a couple weeks ago, and I told him, I said, I almost wish that the church had some trouble every now and then. Because you know when the church is the strongest? It's when it's in trouble. Peaceful times in churches are not healthy for churches. They just aren't. Because peaceful times breeds complacency. Complacency makes us no longer pay that close of attention to the dangers that surround us. In the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter while imprisoned. He wrote this letter speaking first in chapter 3 about his stewardship. His stewardship being his management. What it was that drove him, what it was that motivated him to do what it was that he was called to do. And the Apostle Paul was suffering for what he was doing. He was being imprisoned. He was being persecuted for the life that he was living in Christ, for the path that God had placed him on. He said this in in chapter 3, verse 13, and then I want to read 14 through 21 just to give us some background. Therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up with all fullness, all the fullness of God. Now in him he was able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The Apostle Paul's desire for the church in Ephesus and you've heard me say before, this was a chain letter, and every every bit of evidence that they have about this particular letter, this was a chain letter. There were a few manuscripts that were found with the name Ephesus in it, but there were a whole bunch of manuscripts that were found that did not have the title Ephesus in it. That that is that proves historically that that was a letter that was written universally applied to every church and was sent out to every church for the sake of their instruction. The first thing that the Apostle Paul wanted to see from the church. And he was willing to bend his knee in order to see it happen. Was for every person who had trusted in Christ to know the value of the love of Christ. No matter where we are in life, no matter what we're facing, what we're going through, we all need something to motivate us. You all know what I'm talking about. How many of you guys, I'm not bad about this. I know some people who are, but how many of you guys wait to put gas in your car until the light comes on? And it's only, usually, it's only when the light comes on 
that you start thinking, hey, if I don't go get this taken care of, I may be walking for my gas, right? So it's amazing how that little light on the dash comes on and it will motivate us to drive to a gas station and fill that gas tank up. We have to be motivated as Christians. If we're going to begin to set out every day of our life to be the people that Christ has called us to be in the community, in our workplaces, wherever we may be, we have to be individuals who are motivated. But not motivated just by salvation in Christ, but motivated by the love of Christ. Because the love of Christ is not only energizing, it is also protective. Wake up in the mornings and set out for your day. How long does it take for the first aggravating thing to happen to you? The love of Christ, that'll make you feel good about yourself, right? Salvation in Christ, it may help you get out of bed and start the day. But here's an extra added benefit or bonus from having the love of Christ motivate us. How many of you guys, when you're aggravated the first or tenth time in a day, is there a person behind it? You can attach it to someone. It's amazing, ain't it? Because we always have somebody we can attach that aggravation to. The love of Christ will keep us from being unchristlike toward that individual. The fullness of God. Do we read our Bibles every day? Do we pray without ceasing? Always have the faith that moves mountains. Do we always have the hope that sees through every hopeless situation? We're human beings. Of course, we don't always have those things. But just like last week, to take Christ and set him apart, the fullness of Christ does the exact same thing. It wakes us up in the morning. It makes us ready to proclaim the gospel. It makes us ready to show Jesus Christ in our actions. It makes us ready to see the battle lines drawn spiritually every day of our life. Got into a Bible discussion with somebody and they said, it's not a competition. I said, no, it's not a competition. It's spiritual warfare. I mean, competition, that's playful, right? Do you think the devil's playing? He's not playing. He wants to take you out. He wants to take me out. He wants to take any good that me and you can do out. You don't want to know why you have the, the trouble that you have in life, the things that make you question your faith, the things that put you at the end of your rope while you're on your last nerve? You know who's responsible for that? It's not the people that we attach our aggravations to. The Bible's clear. We do not battle against flesh and blood. Prince and the, the, the prince and the power of the air of this world is Satan. For a time, God has allowed him to run free. 
And he's doing everything that he can to play with our minds. The fullness of Christ? One of my brothers had a drinking problem. And uh, I was I was at a, a family gathering where he was at one time, and he had quit cold turkey. This family gathering I was at, of course, they had plenty of stuff that wasn't alcohol to drink, but there was plenty of alcohol around too. And every time he would get a drink, he would go over and fill his cup up again. I mean, he'd only have that far from the top. And I was joking with him, and I walked over, and I said, why do you go fill that up every time that you get a drink? He said, because I'm making sure there's not room for anything else. And was serious when he said it. I'm making sure there's not room for anything else. Because he knew as soon as he left any part of that cup empty, the longer that it stayed empty, the greater the chance that something a little more powerful than sweet tea would go into it to fill that space. We walk around, folks, being individuals who are not full. When we face these struggles and these difficulties, it's time for us to put Christ right back in and fill it to the brim. Because I guarantee you, if we walk through this world half full, Satan's going to fill it up the rest of the way. Chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. You know what the calling is with which you've been called? It's love. It's love. And this is not phileo. This is not brotherly love. This is agape. Agape love is the same love that Christ showed us. It's the same love that says, I'll love you even when you're not worthy of it. Because that's the love with which Christ loved us. He loved us even when we weren't worthy of it. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This calling with which we've been called, love should never fall outside of our purview. Whether we're dealing with each other inside the church or we're dealing with someone who's been misled outside of the church, our mindset and motivation has to be love. As far as I know and can prove doctrinally, there's only one that God wants to destroy. He will also destroy their fo his followers. But there is only one who is set for destruction plus the people who follow him. And it's Satan. The Bible speaks of one unforgivable sin, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon a person and says, Jesus is real. And when a person says, baloney, that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Any person on this planet still taking air into their lungs have not committed that sin. That is a sin. 
with its implications, apply upon death. These people need Jesus. The ones that we so eagerly attach a name to, those frustrations, they need Jesus. You may have the fullness of Christ because you placed your trust in him. Guess what you still need? You still need Jesus. He's the parakletos, one who's called alongside to help. When he went away, he sent the helper. The helper is to continue to walk through this world with us. We still have to face the difficulties, the challenges, the struggles, the temptations. We still have to fall to, to we still have to experience the false prophets and the false teachers. We're human beings. There are, clays, there are conditions in the human mind where, as a human being, people say jokingly, but men, it comes to daughters, granddaughters. How many of you have thought, if not said, that you're pretty sure you know where you could hide a body that nobody could find it? They need Jesus. The conflict that the Apostle Paul spoke about, that conflict is real, and it's inside every one of us, and we've experienced that conflict. We need Jesus. Because when that conflict occurs, we need to be able to discern between the right and the wrong, which one's on God's side and which one is not. And then not to be angry and wish for the worst for, the, for that that is not. But to be ready to share Jesus with them. To show them what a Christ-like attitude is. Verse 4 says, There's one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us was given according to the measure of his was, Sorry, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended. What does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Purpose. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Every gift that he mentioned there was for one purpose. It was for individuals to grow up in Christ. Christ. 
How many of you have beliefs that you've held on almost all your life that you know that it would take something absolutely miraculous to move you from? I want to tell you something. As a very young person who grew up, <clears throat> who grew up in the church, these conflicts are not new to me. I can tell you that if I had not been a pastor and done the amount of studying that I had done, I probably still wouldn't have a clue about a lot of the stuff. But the number of conflicts in faith that I was brought to based on what I was told by someone else and what I found in the scripture, there were a bunch. And it creates a crisis of faith. How do you detach from something that you believed in for so long and attach to the truth of what the Bible says? Well, in order for all of us to be able to learn, we need people who have those gifts. God provided apostles, individuals who were called by him and taught by him to establish the truth line the truth line that would be handed down generation to generation to generation, leading all the way up to the point where we are now. He would need individuals who are prophets. Prophets are not fortune tellers. Prophets are individuals who speak an absolute truth under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Most prophets weren't like Jonah. Most prophets, <clears throat> according to Jesus Christ's own words, what did they get for going into cities and telling people the truth? They got the same thing Jesus got for going into the city and telling people the truth. It was a death sentence. So you say, well, what's the difference between an evangelist or a preacher and someone who is a prophet? A prophet gets a word from the Lord that's affirmed by his word and will share it regardless of the consequences. An evangelist, there's someone who's gifted with sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. A pastor is someone who will work and weave through the fibers of individuals' relationships and individuals' lives. Who will go pray with them when they're at the hospital. Who will talk to them when they call on the phone. These gifts are all very different. But every one of them have one thing in common. They're provoked by the truth. I want to encourage you and challenge you all at the same time. <clears throat> so many times I've heard in the past two weeks, well, that's not what I believe. How powerful is this word believe? Is it a word that should really, our entire faith should rest upon? We have John 
For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him. Pretty powerful word, right? Paul says the demons also believe and they shudder. When I hear someone say, that's not what I believe, my mind instantly reverts to, but what if that's not what the Bible says? Has our belief gone too far when our belief is contrary to the word of God? It absolutely has. You want to know why the faith in this world, faith in this country is so messed up right now? Because we've gotten to the point as a culture that we define it. And it does not define us. Verse 14 says, As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him, who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. I'm getting old. Some of you will laugh because I said that, because I know some of you got some years on me. But I'm getting old. And I'll tell you how I know I'm getting old. If I sit the wrong way for more than like five minutes, I wake up with a pain and I stand up with a pain in my hip that is straight from the pits of hell. It cripples me. I have to stand on one leg and start wiggling around, hoping that that thing will pop, believing that I'll get some relief out of it. How many of you, when you sit down, you drive in the car for like five or six hours, you get out of the car, your body's. Just like, don't do it. The love of Christ, it's in the form of 66 books. 27 of them in the New Covenant. This is His love. This is what tells us who he is. This is what tells us what he's done. This is what tells us why he did what he's done. This is what tells us what's best for us. This is what tells us what is best for others. This is what tells us what love really is. If there's one thing in our Christian faith that sits atop the love of Christ, it should be the ability to know his word. Do you want to love people the way Jesus loves us? This is the only way you find out how. Do you want to know when somebody's feeding you a line? Potentially pulling you out of the game? This is what holds the blueprint that prevents that from happening. 
it's not all the emotion, folks. It's very practical instruction that the Bible gives us. Because I'll tell you something. What the devil really wants to do is if you're in need, he wants to knock you out of joint. If you're back, he wants to throw you out. Because who in this church can he hit that doesn't at least on some level cripple this church? We got to learn to discern the voice of the devil. To tell the difference between him and Christ. We've got to learn to have self-control led by the Holy Spirit through the teaching of his word. Because we can't be people who are blown around by every wind of false doctrine. If we're a church that is founded and standing on anything less than what this book says, then we're open to Satan, his wiles. We're open to trouble. And he will try to cause divisions in the church over beliefs. Not over scripture. He would try to cause divisions in the church over individuals facing trials and difficulties. He will do anything that he can to try to throw a wrench in the cog. Because as long as the church is outward focused, it's gospel minded. Getting ready to start vacation Bible school. <clears throat> Never any opportunities for the devil in vacation Bible school either. But you know what the result is? When you have a people who know the love of Christ, who are motivated by the love of Christ, and you stand solely on the truth of his word, people get saved. People who know him come to know him more. Because just like Bates Creek Camp, we've taken every bit of the world and we've pressed it out and said, you are not welcome here. In a way, for us to refuse to understand the word of God, for us to lose focus on the love of Christ, is to invite Satan into our workings. I'm asking you as a church. I'll try to wind this down. I'm asking you as a church. <clears throat> I know my place. I'm an under-shepherd. Christ is the head of the, of the church. I am an under-shepherd. As an under-shepherd, I'm supposed to make sure that you as a church have clean water to drink, that you have good food to eat, that if there is a threat towards it, I will place myself between you and that threat. The funny thing about sheep, I could preach a whole nother sermon 
on sheep. Cracks me up one day. I mentioned it one day, and one of our church members sent a video on Facebook where there's a sheep stuck in this trench that this guy dug out. It pulls the sheep out of the trench, and the sheep runs about 50 yards and jumps up in the air and goes head first right back in the trench. I could have put a few names on that from the from from my past. I could have put a few names on that sheep. I could have named that sheep several times over. <clears throat> I'm not going to stand up here and pretend that I'm Superman and I can protect you from everything. My hope is that the water you drink is the living water. And the food that you eat is the body of Christ. And that you become just as much a defender of this church as I am. But I can promise you. Threats have come. They will come again. They aren't rare. They're fairly common. And we have the ability to protect ourselves from these things. Just simply by remembering that passage of scripture. Stay full of Christ. Leave no room for anything else. Make his love the motivation for everything that you do. And ground yourself in his word so that you may never be misled. If you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, it's as simple as it's as simple as just telling, telling Jesus that you believe in him. I believe you came to earth, lived the perfect life, you died on the cross for my sins, you rose from the grave three days later. I'm a sinner. Salvation comes only through you. I'm sorry. Forgive me. It's done. If you need help, more than willing to help you. Just come up and say, Preacher, I need to be saved. And I will take whatever time is necessary to make sure that you know as well as you can know the one who can save you. This message, for the most part, was for those of you who are believers. Which, looking around, I believe most, if not all, are. If there was anything in this message the Holy Spirit spoke to you about, anything in your life needs to be strengthened, anything in your life needs to be improved, if there is any conflict in your life that's been created between God's Word and what you've been told, my prayer is the Holy Spirit will move you, and when He does, that you'll move. Because the day's coming. That's all that we will have. That's it. Christ, His love, and His Word. As long as you have it too, then we have a bond that is unbreakable. And it will see us through anything. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, prayer requests, or just want to say hello... You can reach us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. We hope that this message was encouraging to all of our listeners. Have a blessed week.